Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about a story in the Bible. Before I do, the title of the message is called The King's Highway. If in England, if you were a monarch and you were coming, you were traveling down the road, they'd have soldiers and people that represented the king that would go before you and say, this is the king's highway. And so they knew that the monarchs or the people of royalty were coming. And what they would do is they would step aside off the highway. And as the monarch would walk down the road or be carted down by a wagon or whatever they were on, a horse or whatever, People would bow out of reverence for the authority and they gave homage to them. But today, I want to talk about the real king and his highway and what it looks like. Amen? And so this morning, if you would, you can go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. If you have a Bible, a phone, or if, if you don't have anything, you look down like you know you have something or you wish you had something. In Mark 10, verse 46, and they came, I like this, and they came to Jericho. Now, let me just tell you, Jericho is kind of a crazy, it's not a crazy, but it's just, it's just like a place. When you think of Jericho in the Bible, there's a lot of things that you can read stories of Jericho. But one of the things it said, it was, also, it was known as a place of fragrance. Right now, during this time in South Louisiana, one of my favorite plants in the world are jasmines. And they have, there are those little bushes and they have the white flowers and they, they have an incredible fragrance. My wife and I killed ours that were by our front doors. When you came, you used to come to our door. I don't know if she did or I did. Neither one of us really have a green thumb. If we need something planted, we ask my daughter because she can just plant things. And they, it's like God's with her. And she goes, she, and it just grows. Like I told my wife, she had a plant on the thing. And she goes, look at my plant. I go, I know. I can't believe it. You hadn't killed it yet. And she goes, she was all happy. But anyway, just... I'm going somewhere. But he said, it was a place of fragrance. And see, historians tell us that in Jericho, it was the most trafficked intersection in the world at this time. Not only that, see what happened is that all commerce, all travel and movements of troops between Europe and North Africa would go through Jericho. And see what happens in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho and he was leaving and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples. And a, great, uh, and a great crowd. And Bartimaeus, here he begins to tell him, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. I want you to understand when people are at places and when they're in the shadows of their lives, there's two things that people have a hard time with is discomfort with interruption. How many of you have had discomfort in your life? Come on. Everybody's had discomfort. And then when people interrupt you in your discomfort. How many of you have ever had a pity party? And you invited yourself and you only. And it was by it was right next to by yourself. The by you by yourself. OK, you'll get it later. And you just celebrate right there. You throw out the banners and you just feel sorry for yourself. And then someone interrupts you. You just go like this. I can't handle this. Then there's another one called fear. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, I was sitting down. I was about to get out of my chemo chair and they were going to put a pump on me. I have a port right here and I have to walk away with two days with this this pumps uh, connected to me and this lady and you normally don't do this when you're in cancer ward it's like in jail you don't tell people in jail why you're there okay you know but in a cancer uh, place where they hook you up this lady goes what kind of cancer do you have and like that's like, like you don't ask people that they, well, you know you have conversations and stuff and I said well I said she goes, is this your first time? I go, ma'am. I go, if there could be a novel, my book would be this thick. 
He said, I've been coming here for 10 years, off and on. And she started crying. She broke down. And so she said, I don't want to die. And she started telling me, they've only given me so long. And they've got this. And I said, well, stop, stop. Don't you ever let a man or a person put a date on you. <coughs> only God does. And listen, for some of you, don't put yourself in a situation where think people go, man, you keep running this way. This is what's going to happen to you. And so let me just say this, is that for right here, when I think about this, there's three categories of people. And I prayed for this lady. I told her, hey, when they put the pump on me, I'm going to come over there and pray. I prayed, and people know that I pray for people that I don't ask for permission. Just go over there. And she just, I said, because can I tell you something? It's Jesus. I went to the pulmonologist because I have, I have some, an issue with my lungs. That's what I'm dealing with right now. There's no cancer in me except for right in my lungs. I'm not going to go on the details, but that's what I'm dealing with. And the, 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 the pulmonologist that I see, she's Indian descent from the country of India. And, and so she, she listens to my lungs. She goes, oh, your lungs sound much better. And I go, well, Jesus is touching them. She goes, hmm. I said, and the chemo's helping. She goes, oh, the chemo, the chemo. You know, and see, I believe there's three categories of people. Listen to me. The first category is those who make things happen. The second one is those, that, those who watch things happen. And the third category is this. And those who wonder what just happened. And the thing I'm going to talk about today is the guy, Bartimaeus, and he's just sitting on the road going, what's happening? How many of you ever been there? And see, what happens is no doubt, Barnabas, listen, he was blind. That means that all of his other senses were enhanced, they say. When you lose one sense, you, you gain other things. And can you imagine? No doubt he could hear the cracking uh, of the wagon, wagons being pulled by snorting oxen. He, he could see, he heard, you know, the scuffle of sandals stepping on rocks and sand and dirt and people moving. And, and here he is. He's just standing still. He's in that corner. He's blind. Maybe you can identify. Maybe you feel like all around you things are happening. People are moving. Times are changing like Bob Dylan used to sing about. But you, you're just sitting wondering. And you're not, you're like born and made. Not only are you blind, but you've, you've almost come to a point where you, you want things to happen. But you're just where you're at. You're stuck. Barnabas literally means this, son of the unclean one. What does that mean? Possibly got his name because his mother and father passed a disease that causes blindness. Real Bible beggars, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. A real Bible beggar is persistent as a fly on the day you barbecue on your barbecue pit. Are you hearing me? You just throw out the pit and you put some meat out there. The flies are coming. How many know what we're talking about? Okay. That's how beggars were. But they, they're so persistent. But they know how to touch your heart. Where J.J. and Esther are from, I've been there 15 different times, almost 60. I don't remember. Something like that. But you can have first world where there's a gated community. It's beautiful. It's lovely. Have great shops and everything. And then right next to the order is third world. Where they live in little pieces of tin. And some people know how to beg there. They know how to get to the heart. 
Sometimes we don't see that in America, but I've seen it places. I remember in Honduras, there's a little boy every day that I preached. I was preaching in Honduras for 10 days. I preached four days, four times a day. Yeah, four, four times a day for 10 days. I spoke 40 times at different places. But this one, the Big Mama Church, there was a boy. He was probably 11 or 12. He slept at the church doors. He was a beggar. He was an orphan. And you know how to get to your heart. Got to mine. And see, what happens is Mark chapter 10. Are y'all with me? Come on. Y'all quiet. Okay. Mark says it like this in 10 verse 47, 48. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, he, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. Now think about it. He probably heard stories. How many of you know people talk? Come on, do people talk in Crowley? Come on. Did you hear Mama Touche? She knows she. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. And so what happens is, and he began to cry saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mercy is far beyond grace. Mercy means this. When you look up the Bible, what the, I, I just did a whole study on mercy. It means the presence of God. It doesn't just mean grace. God forgives you. He gives you his grace, but he comes with his presence on your life. Where where Psalms 121 says, where do I look? Into the hills comes my help. Why did he say that? Because when they would come over the hills and they'd see Jerusalem, the temple was on the highest point in Jerusalem. And when they saw if I could just get to the temple, if I can get to the place that with the Holy of Holies, I could sprinkle this blood and God will forgive me. And I'll I'll be at the mercy. It was called the mercy seat. That God's presence would come in my life again. We don't have to do all the things I used to. We can just come and say, God, you see my situation. You see my circumstances. Not only do I need your grace, but I need your mercy. And see, he's saying this. He said, Jesus, son, have mercy on me. And listen to what it says. And many rebuked him. Telling him to be silent. In other words, and they said... But I like it. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. When I was in school, I went to Our Lady of Fatima. I went to cathedral before that in junior high. And eventually they put those two schools together and they made St. Thomas More in Lafayette. But and so what happened is. We were a small school. I had 65 people graduate from my class. But I remember I played baseball, ran track, and I was all state in bong smoking. Anyway, you'll get that later. And drug paraphernalia. Anyway. And so what happened is uh, I was all over the state, state of mind. Some of you'll get that later. And we used to go and we would play the... They were all African. It was all the last off, all African-American school left in Lafayette Catholic School. It was called Holy Rosary Institute. And that's part of STM now as well. And I used to just go to the games to watch the girls cheer. Because they had chants like you never heard in your life. And they had passion. They used to have, you know, chants go, go back, go back, go back to the swamp. Your team ain't got no spirit and your coach is a chump. I say, go back, go back. I mean, they just had cheers and you just remembered them. Some of you get it, but anyway. 
But he said he cried out. You know, sometimes we get in that place that's called what if. What if I just... And people stay there sometimes. They go, what if? But they never do what if. See, what happens is sometimes you live a paralyzed and imprisoned life. That's what I did when I, that's how I was before I knew the Lord. I've known the Lord to be 42 years, May 15th, 1980. Be 42 years. Look, the same God that saved me is the same God that can heal me. The same God that I began with 42 years is the same God that I serve today. Are you hearing me? No matter what you walk through, he's the same today and forever. You see, I love it. You see, the crowd was loud, but I like it. Bart was louder. Come on, come on, get a little louder. Come on, you know, Bart was going on and you ain't going to stop me. He goes, Jesus, son of David. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> when was the last time you were passionate? For God. When's the last time you cried out? I love it. When you cry out, God hears. Did you just hear what I said? You see, the crowd was loud, but he's like, beggars learn not to be denied. <laughs> I remember before I knew the Lord, I read a book called The New Wine is Better that my grandmother prayed for me for years. It was about a guy, I think this is crazy, from South Africa. His name was Robert Tharm. He grew up in an orphanage. He was alcoholic. And when I finished reading the book, I go, that guy did need Jesus. He was screwed up. <laughs> then, I, then you know what the Holy Spirit began to do with me? You're just like that guy. And I remember on the back of a boat deck out in the Gulf of Mexico because we were stuck in a storm for 11 days. We had to tie off to a sea buoy. I gave up everything I could give up. I was making long distance calls to Europe. I was Europeing everywhere. <laughs> and I mean, seriously, I mean, I got on there and I just, that's all I had was this book. And I had a Bible. Because my thought was, if the plane goes down, if the helicopter goes down, if the boat sinks, somehow me and Jesus can work out something because I brought my Bible. I didn't know anything about salvation. My grandmother tried to tell me. I just knew she used to tell me, if you get scared, plead the blood of Jesus. I'd go to bed at night sometimes. I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. I didn't know I was pleading it, but I could feel God's presence sometimes. I promise. I felt him. I sensed him. Then I cried out. He heard me. On May 15th, 1980. I remember meeting Jesus. Went back to my apartment. Got all my stuff that I used to smoke dope with. Got my, behind my door in my bedroom, I had a Playboy centerfold. I remember ripping that thing off. I remember getting all my magazines, all the pornography, all the things that I used to smoke drugs with. Then I thought there was a few albums that I don't, record albums I don't listen. I started breaking them up. And my best friend walks in. He goes, Baba, what are you doing? And I had a 55-gallon trash bag. And I was throwing all this stuff in it. He goes, what are you doing? I said, man, I gave my life to Jesus. My devil bag. Yeah, but some of those records are breaking to mine. I didn't think he needed to listen to them anymore. 
Now he's saved. Still my best friend after 45 years. God heard my cry on the back of the boat. God hears your cry wherever you're at, whatever your circumstances are. That thing you've been saying, God, I need to be delivered from this. God, you know what I'm walking through. God, I can't give up this. Listen, Jesus, Barnabas heard Jesus had come to the town of Jericho. Jesus, in the Greek, is translated, translated to the Jewish name Joshua. 2,000 years before that, there was another guy that came to Jericho, and his name was Joshua. He was commissioned by Moses. They'd crossed the Red Sea. They, God had promised them a promised land. But the first battle they had to go through was Jericho. And Joshua took the troops and he had marching orders. He goes, get the Crowley High School Band. And walk around and, and sing songs as you walk around the walls of Jericho. Think about that. God got the worship team, the music guys, going seven, you know, for seven days, you know. In the last day, they blew the trumpet. And I like what Winky Pratney, one of my, my mentors in my life, is he said the walls didn't fall this way. When the walls came down, they went like this. That means if you were taking a shower against the wall, what? ah, you were exposed. I don't know, but that's... And see, thousands of years ago... Joshua went there for destruction to get to the promised land. Standing before blind Bart was Joshua, Jesus, whose job and commission was to bring people into God's promised land. Not the physical, but the eternal, the heaven. You see, Mark chapter 10, verse 49 says this, and Jesus stopped. Another translation, he stood still. And said, call him. You know one of the greatest things that Joshua in the Old Testament did with Moses? He asked God for the son to stand still. When Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus, the son of God stood still. He got God's attention. You see, when you cry out, God, you get God's attention. You see, Barnabas' life would miraculously change the day that Jesus stood still. You're sitting by the highway of life saying, man, I'm blind. I don't get it. I'm not seeing properly. I'm not going anywhere in my life. Does Jesus care about me? Does God even know what I'm facing? And he's just passing by. Oh, he's just passing by quickly. I heard someone say the other day, they go, take hope. They were, the government was telling us, y'all just need hope. I go, no, you, need, you can't cope with just hope. You can have hope, but you need God to have hope. There's a difference between government hope, which I've seen what they do. Not much. When hurricanes come, when floods come, you know who shows up? The church that represents Jesus Christ. They couldn't do it unless the church went and served. They couldn't do it. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They, they're lost. They're kind of like that cartoon. Which, which, which way did I go? And see, what happens is Barnabas cried out and the sun stood still. Why? Let me give you three reasons, three suggestions. 
Number one, he cried out, listen to me, with humility. What do you mean? He knew who he was. He didn't have to, look, when I was lost, I knew I was lost. Hello? I was messed up. I, was, I remember fussing at myself sometimes. I look at my cigarettes that I used to smoke, and I go, I hate you. I don't want to do this. Flick it out. You know what I mean? Then you tell your friends, this is the last time. <clears throat> this is the last time I do this. Yeah, right. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> they have a guy named Bradley Blackstone, one of the first guys I ever witnessed to on the strip. And that strip is in, we use it in Lafayette with a bunch of bars. Just hang out there. And I started telling him about Jesus. And he said, Bubba, like we were doing a big locker to locker event at the Cajun Dome one, one day. And he sees me. He goes, Bubba McKinn, I've been looking you, for you for 14 years. My friend goes, he must be with the IRS. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that's what my friend told me, Derek. And he goes, I go, what do you mean? He said, you witnessed to me about Jesus at the strip. You just got saved. If you would have known more about Jesus, you could have led me to the Lord that night. I just knew, like, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. Sorry. You need to give your life to him. That's all I knew. But he said, for two years after you preached to me, I was miserable. He said, literally, I'm laying him. He's telling me this story. He's laying in his, on his floor. And he said, he feels like something says move. And he moved. And he said, the ceiling fan fell. He said, he goes, it's time to go to church. He went to church and got saved. And he told me, it's all because of you. You made me miserable for two years. Thank God. He knew. Why do bad, you ever have people, you ever feel like this? Why do bad things always happen to me? Everybody thinks that sometimes when they're going through difficulty. Just like Pastor Jacob said, some of us need a breakthrough. But sometimes the world, the enemy tries to break us right before the breakthrough. And we want to give in to compromise and give in to things that, are, that don't represent God's kingdom at all. And God just says, just hold on. And see what happened. Humility says who you are. Man, Barnabas, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment. But God, Lord, thank you. Give me mercy. Such is the voice of the Lord. He hears most of us clearly. I have a friend, my friend, the same friend, Mark, that I gave, that I gave my life to the Lord. And he was my best friend. Broke his records. And he ended up giving his life to the Lord. He called me the other day as I've been going through this new challenge. And he said, man, there's a guy I want you to talk to. His name's Victor. I said, all right, I'll talk to him. And so we ended up talking. And we became friends. And he lives in Benton, Louisiana. And he said, Bubba, my story starts when I was 53. I'm 60 right now. I'm 61, so I can relate. He goes, I went to the doctor. And the doctor said, you have 15 months left to live. You have cancer. He said he's in his stomach area, intestines, and his lymph nodes. And he said, they only gave me 15 years. And I drove away going, he goes, I didn't know God. He said, this is what I said. I said, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. He kept thinking, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Because when you don't know the Lord, you don't want to die. Amen? Okay, I got the most amens I got on that one. I'll serve but here's what happened. 
He said the next day, there was a knock on my door. There was five people from this spirit-filled church in Vinton. They started, came over and they started telling me about Jesus. I didn't even tell them I had cancer. And they just prayed for me. The next day, he said, that was a Saturday. And on Sunday, I woke up and said, what am I going to do? Hey, you know what? Those people, I'm going to go to that church those people were from. They came and prayed for me. He goes there. And he said, God begins to work in him. And he goes, and the preacher preached a message. And I just felt like I'm supposed to go to the front. So I went to the front. And the, he told the preachers, there's three things. I, I just can't give up. My sm- I love to smoke. I love to drink beer. And I love to smoke dope. Those are three things I can't give up. I'm just asking God to help me. So the preacher prayed for me. I got my truck. And he goes, God, I don't, you know the three things. I, I don't want to smoke. I don't want to drink beer. I don't want to, I don't want to smoke dope all the time. Those are things I just, I can't do it on my own. I've tried. Help me. I want to live. He said, I'll tell you what, Bubba, two days later, I'd given my life to the Lord. But two days later, God took it away. God took it away. You got to be humble. Victor was just, hey, three things I can't give up. There's some of you sitting here, you're going, there's just things I can't give up. But here's my question. Can you give it to Jesus? I didn't think I'd ever stop smoking dope. I didn't think I'd ever have freedom over pornography. I didn't think I'd ever have freedom over drinking and thinking all these other, doing other things. And when I got saved, this is my friends, you're, and I, they found out I was going to be a preacher. You're the last person in the world we ever thought that ever be doing what you're doing. That's crazy. And the cool thing over the years, I've been able to counsel them in their marriages and with their children. You got to be humble. Okay, in other words, what humble means, just be real. The second thing, he cried out, and I love the word tenacity. He just had tenacity. He cried out. The crowd was going, keep quiet. He went, uh-uh. Jesus is walking by. I heard of the miracles that guy's done. I need a miracle. It's amazing to me how oftentimes people, well-meaning people, try to keep us to be, tell us to be quiet. They just tell us to be quiet. Sometimes people want us to be satisfied in our condition. I could just roll up and go, I'm going to die of cancer. But you know what? I don't. Because the same God that rescued me, that saved my life, is the same God 41, almost 42 years ago, is the same God can work a miracle and carry me through whatever I walk through. It's him, not me. I mean, someone told me one day, goes, Pastor Bubba, you're like an all-pro. I go, all-pro? Like, you know, like a football player. You made the all-pro team. I said, brother, I was satisfied being on the practice squad. I didn't sign up. God didn't go, hey, anybody want cancer and walk through this thing? Have some I didn't raise my hand. I'm like, I was satisfied being on the practice squad. I didn't want to be no all-pro. 
And I'm not. I'm just a Christian that's fallen in love with Jesus. He's touched my life. It's not about being, being a, a pastor or a preacher. First of all, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And he's revealed himself to me. I love what they, you know, they were saying, quit bothering the Lord. You shut up. He doesn't, Jesus. And all of a sudden, just accept your blindness. Accept your confusion. Accept where you're at. That's just who you're going to be. Hello? For us in life, that's where you're going to be. It doesn't have to be that way. But see, however, he kept crying out with humility, yes, but with tenacity. Jesus! Jesus! That's like standing in the, having the main drag on Mardi Gras or the Rice Festival, you know, when there's all that stuff going on downtown and, and you're trying to get someone's, you know, it'd be like Jesus walking up, Jesus! And everybody, shut up, Shad. Matt T. Boy, be quiet. He goes, I'm not going to be quiet. And I love what it says. Mark 10, verse 49, he says in 50, he says, and they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up. He's calling you. What do you mean? He's calling you. He sprang up and he went to Jesus. Third thing I want you to see, he cried out expectantly. I know if I get his attention, that something's going to change. He threw off everything that would hold him back. The Bible says he threw off his cloak. You got to be willing to throw off, forget the past, forget where you've been, forget who hurt you, forget who wounded you. Yes, we have to deal with those things in our lives, but you got to throw those things off. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my pain. You don't know what I felt. You don't know what I'm, no, I don't. But he does. He threw off everything. The things we try to cover, our misery, our habits, our sins. He was saying, if I can just get to him like the woman had the issue, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. He was saying, if I could just get his attention, I know if he stands still, my situation, my circumstance can change. Hebrews says it like this, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. Listen, it said, I believe this. It's faith that sees the invisible, believes the impossible, and receives the incredible. Pastor Bubba, that's good preaching. Thank you. I'll say it again. It, it's faith that sees the invisible. It believes what's impossible. It believes whatever you're at. It's just impossible. No, it's not. Not with God. And receives the incredible. You ever have someone get incredible news? Look, when I asked Tracy for her hand in marriage, it was the incredible. Because I thought, well, it's impossible. This girl, she grew up loving Jesus. I was like, when we were at the Bible college, I had long hair. I'd only been saved three months. She had known God. She was mature, all that. And when I heard her pray, I was like, man, she knows God. And when I saw her in her bathing suit, she knows, whoo, God. <laughs> thou art our shepherd. <laughs> Lead me. <laughs> she said, oh, Bubba, it's called the gift of attraction. 
God, that's incredible. Mark 51 says, Mark 10, 51, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What a crazy question. But it's just to the point. If you can go to God with humility, tenacity, and expectation for a visitation, he may just ask you, what do you want me to do for you? It's that simple. Don't we make it complex sometimes? We feel like, see, the religious side of the world says you got to do this, this, and this, and this. There's all these steps. No, it's just one step of faith. Here I am, God. When I cried out in the back of the boat, there's one step. When my grandmother cried out for my soul, she used to pray, God, don't just save him. Make him a preacher. I blame her. You Thank God for my grandmother. She was a stable source in my life. Raised me till I was five. My mother was 16 when she was pregnant for me. She had to finish school. My grandmother and her Jesus had an effect on me. And he says, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. There's only two times in the New Testament where it says, Rabbi, a master like this. It was when Mary Magdalene saw Jesus at the tomb, Master. And right here, Master means you're my authority. Whatever you say. You know what I became when I came to know Jesus? I became a love slave, motivated out of love. And it's not, I'm not a slave. I want to do anything just like you do to please God, don't you? And see, no wonder he followed. See, even after this, and he said, and Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And like what it says, and Jesus said to him, go your way. I love this. Your faith, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Can you imagine, no pun intended, you imagine that sight? Imagine the crowd. Imagine the people. That's what happens when blinders fall off of people's eyes. And people look at you and go, oh my God. Oh my God. I met with a guy the other day, Catholic all of his life. Gave his life to Jesus at 63. Like God filled with the Holy Spirit. Gave his life to the Lord. I was just sitting lunch with him. And when he prays, he prays like he's been knowing the Lord for 50 years. He loves Jesus. Just in the way he talks. I go, man, there's a change. I used to go in his store. And one day he thought, I just, I'm going to tell you what I did. I said, one day, and that's how I am. I'm just going, thanks so much. And I go, love you, man. He goes, love me. He goes, he's not that way. And he said, it just pricked me. And then he said, every time you came to the store, you said that. Then we had a flood. He said, I stopped going to church for five to six weeks. And when they had the flood, 
they heard this. He said, you know that preacher over there? Got up this morning. He said, we're not going to have church this morning. We're going to go be the church and serve our community. And he said, when I heard that, he goes, I got to see what that's all about. And now that he's there, came, he got radically saved, touched, filled with the Holy Spirit, delivered. Y'all know him. He's a man of God. How can that happen? Because he saw where he was at and what he needed. And he found it. It wasn't in the church. Hey, we're just a, we're just a, the church is just a place. You're the church. But when you come to this place, it should feel, be a place where you feel like there's hope. There's faith. There's love. There's trust. God can bring change in my life. Religion tells you all the things you have to do. Christianity says it tells you all the things you can be. Amen? You see, Mark says it like then. Jesus said, go, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Why wouldn't you follow him? I like what Luke says. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you you know why I like that scripture because God touches our lives he changes our lives but he wants us to be agents to bring change to others they can have hope because if God can touch that guy that person you know my, my motto was always like God Give me the people that no one wants in our churches. And I know, God, if you give us the people that no one wants, one day you'll give us the people that everybody wants. Because you know why? Because God can change them that no one wants and change them into an individual. They go, wow. That's what redemption is. One man fell. His name was Adam. But another man came. His name was Jesus. And he brought salvation. It means he, that you can have freedom in God. That you can know him. He can set you free from your circumstances. If you cry out to him. Am I in the right place this morning? I'm just going to do this. One of my favorite heroes, Winston Churchill. First book I ever read was about, his, about him. I don't care. Uh, the cancer culture is trying to rewrite who he was. But I love his quote. He said... We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. God brings life. And I've learned this. We got a lot of one-mile people, but I want to be a two-man, a two-mile man in a one-mile world. That's the way we should be. If you're a Christian, you love God, you should be a, a two-mile person. What do you mean? You're willing to go the extra. When everybody else wants to do one mile, you do too. Amen? God's here for you. You know what I want you to do different this morning? If you, I mean, you say, Pastor Bella, keep your eyes open. I needed to hear this message. If that's you, raise your hand. Come on, just raise your hand. Okay, all over. Okay, let's do this. Why don't you, everybody stand to their feet. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Everybody. Everybody means everybody. If you feel unworthy, that's everybody. You feel like, well, it's impossible. That's you. 
Can we do this? Can you just put your hands like this that you want to receive from God? I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for this moment that we have, that we can come together as a church here in Crowley. Thank you for the people's lives that are here. And Lord, I know that in a place like this, there's some that are doing very well. Some are being challenged in their faith. Some are being pulled different ways and different, different pools, God. And they, they're just, I want to make a stand for you. Father, this morning, you know everybody's cry. You know what they're need. And Father, I thank you that, God, that you want to come today and show yourself mighty and strong. You said you'd never leave us. You'd never forsake us. That you would be with us no matter where we go, no matter what we do. And the same power that raised you from the grave would live inside of us. And Father, we thank you that we can look to you no matter what we go through, no matter what we face. You're the God. You're the almighty God. The one that does not change. The one that is not fickle. The one that is strong and mighty. Even in the midst of our battles and our circumstances. You are able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we can ask this dad today. Or even think of. God, you're the God that put the stars and the moon and, and everything. You keep them on their course. And you're the God that came and sent your son to rescue us. Once again, God, we cry out mercy. God, let your mercy come. We don't want to break. We want to get through the breakthrough. So, Father, come this morning for those that are weary, those that are tired. Refresh them. Holy Spirit, come. Refresh, renew, strengthen Father, for those that are here that are struggling with just different issues in their lives, I pray they'll cry for freedom, wholeness, deliverance. God, you're the God that delivers. You set people free. You change lives. God, I've seen it in all my years of serving you. I've seen you change people's lives. They were once something, but now they're, 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 they're just new in you. Thank you for that. And today, I thank you. This is a church. The God, this church is going to be responsible for changing people's lives. And the people of this church, God, you're going to bring freedom in this community, in this area, because of this church. So, Father, come. Refresh us. Renew us. Touch us. Change us from the inside out. I pray that in Jesus' name. If you believe that, say, I believe. I believe. Amen.